This is Don't Learn to Code, a podcast from BP Logics. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dale Franks. And I'm Bonnie Walker. And I uh, I noticed something that we forgot to do last week. What's Whenever that? we did our podcast, we did all the introductory info. Uh-huh. We didn't uh, we didn't mention why we named it Don't Learn to Code. Oh. <laughs> I, I, do you think that they deduced that, or do you think they're still wondering? No, because sort of reviewing what we talked about last week there's there's nothing that even references the name or why we might have given it the name and it's really funny because if you go to 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 itunes and you do a search for don't learn to code don't learn to code comes up Uh and right next to it is a podcast called learn to code (laughs) we're the contrary cousin of learn to code (laughs) so why did we name it don't learn to code part of it is, of course, because our flagship product is a no-code software product. Yes. Low-code, no-code. You can code if you want to or you absolutely have to. You could leave your friends behind. But don't learn to code. Why that name? Well, some history. Back in the dim mists of time, like in 1995, I started a business that still employs my wife full-time. <laughs> of doing website work. Mm-hmm. And so somebody came along and said, hey, there's this new thing in 1997 called the information superhighway, a term which we haven't used since Bill Clinton was president. And they said, we have to have a website so that people can find us. And so our job was making websites. And the way that you made them, of course, was you hand-coded everything in HTML. Mm-hmm. That's not true anymore. No, it's not. I mean, there's there's almost no need whatsoever to know HTML for most people. In fact, most people, when they get a website, something like um, half the websites on the web are now powered by WordPress. Yeah. Which you just install, and then you just you know, change settings in text boxes and say, oh, make this blue. <laughs> make this red. It has templates. You just install a template, activate it, and oh, my website looks pretty now. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to learn to code. If you go to a, a place like Wix. Right. You don't have to learn to code at all. You just say, okay, here's a big text box that says, okay, what would you like to say on this page? And you type stuff into it, and magic happens. Democratizing websites. Well, but we're democratizing everything. The whole point with with Process Director, of course, is that you don't have to code. You don't have to be an IT person to do it. And maybe learning to code in 2019 isn't the best career path for a young person because I'm not sure that the number of code jobs is going to increase substantially. No, that's why I'm going to have my son learn to dance. (laughs) Because there are so many dance jobs available. You just wait. I'm waiting for that wave to come along. All these unemployed coders (laughs) go into elaborate dance troops. They'll go into the fine arts. (laughs) Exactly. This huge vacuum, this huge need in the fine arts. Because if anybody knows anything about coders, it's that they are so interested in the arts. (laughs) Just a whole slew of extroverts. Well, actually, they are interested in the arts. If you define the arts as Iron Man, Avengers, (laughs) Batman, (laughs) fairly fairly narrow (laughs) definition of the arts in most cases. But anyway, the reason why we called the podcast that is because the future is platforms. The future is being able to, as a regular business person, just being able to do the things that you need to do without having to call some IT guy with his beard and whatnot to come in and, and type code for you. Uh, the number of people who are going to be typing code, I think, is 
going to be a lot smaller in the future because there are going to be a lot more easier ways to make things happen. I mean, heck, with AI, the idea is AI will learn how to do stuff to the point where you tell it what you want or you give it specific instructions. I need you to do this, this, and this. And everything just happens sort of magically behind the scenes. So that's not saying that there's not some group of engineers at Google who isn't building that AI system and using code to do it. But for the end user, for the business user, the, the need for having code people is dwindling. Dwindling. It's yeah, but on. I have a slightly sunnier take on it. I feel like there will be a need for them, but the need is going to be reallocated outside of the organization and into the places where the coding happens behind the scenes to create the platforms that are then serving the business users. So I don't feel like we're going to have less coders. We're just going to pull them out from the middle of the organization itself and place them in their own little con- like, like kennel where they can <laughs> associate with their kind and be happier for it. And everybody else just gets to, to associate with normal people. Okay. I, I get where you're going on that. But it, it, it's an industry that's really in a lot of flux. And it shouldn't surprise anybody. It's an industry that's always been in a lot of flux. That's one of the – you know, I w- went to college the first time um, in 1982. Mm-hmm. And my major was computer science. And I think – that was the last point at which you could get a CS degree and you could walk away saying, I know everything there is to know about computers. Mm-hmm. That was the very tail end of when somebody might say that. Mm-hmm. That's certainly not true today. I mean, there are people who spend their entire careers doing nothing else but you know, writing device drivers mm-hmm. for, for computers or people who do who don't write code at all. They do nothing but set up networks. Right. There were no networks when I first went to college. I mean, that was that was a, it was a crazy idea. <laughs> and the field has exploded. So there are so many more career fields, careers that didn't exist in 1982 when I went to college. And it's really interesting because when I think back of everything that I learned in college, it was literally useless the day that I walked out the door. Yeah. There was no point to it, no purpose to it, because everything had been superseded. We got in these newfangled things, because I was working on a, it was on its last legs, but it was still there, an IBM System 64 that used punch card input. Oh, I've heard of those. So I had to do punch cards. Um, And nobody was talking about, at the college level, that, you know, Radio Shack had come out with a personal computer that... You could actually do stuff and program and run programs on in your own home. Because when I first went to school, the entire thing was, hey, mainframe, that's what a computer was. A computer Mm -hmm. is this big IBM System 64 that sits in its own room with its own air conditioning system. Um, And you you, you deliver stacks of punched cards to it. And the next day, someone delivers you a report. Yeah, I remember somebody talking about in the early days of the personal computer, it being like an idea that like, no, we don't have need for a personal computer. That's insanity. And um, yeah, that person is hanging their head in shame somewhere probably still in like their chateau because they're one of the early adopters (laughs) (laughs) and now people are walking around with phones that have more computing power than nasa had to put people on the moon (laughs) and my instagram thanks me for it (laughs) absolutely so one of the things that we actually wanted to talk about today rather than sort of 
taking a deep dive into industry analysis, which I can't think of anything more boring to start off the podcast. Wait, with. wait. I have a quote to ta- segue us into oh, the oh, actual... Oh, you have a segue. I, this I is do. almost being done as if we're professionals. I do. I do. Okay. Wait for it. By the way, can you believe we get paid for this? Yeah, we should just make it like the 12-hour show. <laughs> just keep doing only this every day. It's like your inbox is really piling up. It's like, I am doing art. I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, here, here is the quote. Thou art thyself, though, not just BPM. What's BPM? It is nor hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face, nor any other part belonging to a low-code technology system. Oh, be some other name. What's in a name? That which we call a, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Well, there's a lot of names. There are. I don't know whether there. The, here's what's really confusing. Gartner doesn't call it BPM anymore. They call it IBPM mm-hmm. because the word intelligent is important. Could have been SBPM, smart BPM. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's that. There's. Um, Digital process automation. Yeah, digital process automation. Um, intelligent process automation. Intel, yeah, intelligent IPA. My my version of IPA is drunk rather than viewed on a computer. But that I the, yeah, I felt like a dum dum earlier today when you were like looking at me for like this four beat. I'm like, what is a what is IPA? It's like India Pale Ale, Bonnie. I'm like, oh yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> There's all these names and buzzwords, and I think that's one of the most confusing thing about sort of the BPM world today. There's BPM, BPM, what is it, BPMN? Um, yeah, for the notation. For the notation model, which, uh, by the way, no one uses and is worthless, but that's, you know. <laughs> Tell us how you feel, Dale. <laughs> I'm sure the flow chart was fantastic in 1965. Well, I, I mean, listen, I've done. I, I just banged <laughs> I just banged my head on the microphone. I'm looking around for a drink because I'm a professional. He he just gave me a lecture on how having your head position in front of a mic is a learned skill. (laughs) One that apparently can regress. And here's another learned learned skill, shutting up. (laughs) I haven't learned that one yet. Um, So what was I, what were we talking about? Names for BPMN right. because it doesn't have a single name. Well, the and B- it's really confusing. The, well, by the, the way. BPMN side of it, you know, we're, we're, you were talking about flowcharts and you were talking about, um, you know, how they don't work. And I was saying I had cl- I had drunk the Kool Aid around that because, yeah, I mean, there are the 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 need for parallel tasks now is getting more and more complex, and the 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 language system behind that shouldn't become comparatively complex or or it should not be kind for kind the 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 system of parallelism should equal or equate to a simpler methodology um, to communicate that as opposed to one that's getting more and more complex to convey the same thing yeah you know the the problem is that everybody knows what a flow chart is and everybody is taught it in school and that becomes sort of the yeah the but thing. everybody knew what punch cards were right that's true <laughs> but it, it it gets hard to think outside of the box especially when you've built an entire industry around something like bpmm mm-hmm. and someone comes up and says oh well you know, your system doesn't do this mm-hmm. ah well we we can make it do that we'll make mister. it do that we'll, we'll make stuff it. this Round yeah. peg into this square hole. Exactly. And so you go from, from you know, circles, squares, and diamonds 
for your basic shape sizes. They're like dodecahedron. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're running out of shapes. I've invented a new shape. <laughs> for, for, for this activity, you must use the tesseract. I, I, don't, I don't get it. But... We're, we've loaded a whole bunch of extra stuff onto the flowchart, mm-hmm. and the flowchart is really great for expressing simple things. But how much of what we do is simple? I mean, when you think of bringing a, a new employee onto the into the organization, or even to get back farther than that, we may need a new employee. Mm-hmm. So now we have to go back all the way to the job design process. I'm going to design a job. Okay, well I've designed a job. I need to requisition. Uh, for that job to find an employee for that. Okay, we'll give you the requisition. Okay, now I've got to recruit. How am I going to recruit? Am I going to do newspaper ads? Am I going to go to a job fair? Once I've got the recruit, who's going to do the interview process? We're now building up this really, really long process to get Mm -hmm. to the point of, hey, you're hired. Mm -hmm. And then once you're hired, now I've got all these other things I've got to do. I've got to find a place for you to sit. Uh, I've got to give you a phone. I've got to give you a computer, email. I've got to get you business cards. There's all sorts of weird training I have to give you. Uh, Some of it's state mandated, some of it company specific. That's really complicated stuff. Mm -hmm. And when I look at a flow chart, that's a bunch of boxes and lines. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure when anything happens, how long anything takes to happen. The flow chart has been overburdened, I think. And and this is my primary criticism of BPMN. It's just been overburdened with all of the different things that we have to do. It didn't really, it still doesn't handle parallelism Mm -hmm. very well, certainly not in a very readable way. And so there's that level of confusion. First of all, how do I map my process? But let's leave that behind and get back to the other level of confusion, which is for somebody who's just coming into it is, I want to change the way that my company does X, hire people, submit a purchase request, ask for a vacation. How do I do that? And the second you ask that question, you go online or you talk to a consultant, you're instantly barraged with all of these acronyms and all of these names, IBPMS, BPMN, and they're all talking about exactly the same thing, which is mm-hmm. process reengineering. And mm-hmm. there's, there's not a... There's not a generally agreed upon understanding of what process reengineering is, what the terms are that you use, and it's it's got to be extraordinarily confusing for someone who doesn't do this what I do on a on a on a day to day basis. Yeah, I agree, and I think that the layperson or the 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 person who's searching still knows it as BPM, but how what BPM was and what BPM is and what BPM will be is kind of moving in a thousand different directions. So now we have this umbrella term. It was kind of like what we were talking about last time with um, the AI side. It's like we have this umbrella term that encompasses a whole bunch of disparate, um, you know, scopes of service and platform capabilities and feature suites, and they all purport to be BPM. So I understand why there is this kind of restlessness with the term, but there hasn't been a consensus of like, okay, well, BPM is these heavy, you know, old style um, structures, and maybe they still have a place. And so we will label this set of, you know, um, products 
BPM. And then this separate set of products we will label as bleh. And that's the problem that we're having is like nobody knows where those lines are and what the different labels are. So everybody's walking around. You remember that game where you put like a, a, a card on your head and you have to walk around and everybody looks at the card and you have to give the person hints about what they are based on the card on their oh, head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and they, so all the people are walking around going, you slither on the ground. You know what I mean? I feel like the, the BPM industry is doing that. Everybody Everybody's looking at each other, trying to label each other with this, you know, mystery card on their head when because there is no no agreement on what those terms should be and what the lines should be. And there's a, there's a lot of attempts at differentiation, too. So, you know, I would love someone to give me a clear cut definition between or of the difference between digital process automation mm-hmm. and intelligent process automation. Right. Is one better is one different is one good and the other is bad is one outdated now I, I i don't know because we just keep getting bombarded by these by these terms right yeah and it, yeah i mean and there could be a third person that comes in and says they're two names for the same thing or they're there are different ways of describing the same thing with one being more accurate than the other and it's everybody has uh you know it's great if an analyst firm decides that their label is is the the you know true blue label and then it's industry adopted that's really nice for them so of course they're going to want to push their terms yeah i wonder how much of this is pushed by pushed by analysts i mean i think that to some extent on a practical level a rebranding is necessary for the for the way the the whole world of bpm for lack of a better name is heading but it should it be the you know who's the person to decide should it be the you know the this this cadre of analysts that come together and we put them in an elevator for you know two days with no food or water until they come to a consensus and then we let them out i uh, that's my idea almost not getting traction (laughs) by by de facto i think the analysts have a lot of power uh, and the reason that they do is because everybody wants to have a positive mention by the analysts. And so there's this there's this game that gets played in the industry where you say, okay, Gartner or Forrester or whoever mm-hmm. has now come up with this term, you know, HCAS. I'm just going to make up a couple of letters so that I don't directly <laughs> offend anyone. So HCAS, and it stands for high class automating stuff. All right, great. So I'm in the I'm in the I just made that up on the spot. I like that. It was good. <laughs> so, and that's going to be our new brand. <laughs> so the, the 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 new thing is HCAS. And so I as a company, if I want analyst X to say nice things about my product and technically my potential customers are going to see that nice thing that gets said mm-hmm. and call me up so that I can make money off mm-hmm. them. There's a lot of pressure on me to throw in HCAS into everything I do. Ah, here's why we are the primary mm-hmm. or the, the 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 premier HCAS platform. Right. Well, I, I, and it's true because a lot of you know customers are are approaching analyst firms. A lot of customers are. He's pushing the mic closer and closer to my face. I am sorry, dear listeners. I'm sorry. Love the microphone. <laughs> I know, I'm trying. It's it's. Um, it's a work in progress, folks. Um, and I've lost my train of thought now. Because I said analysts drive the the 
process a lot of times because all of the companies uh, want to right but the customers also approach the analyst firms f- for a whole different set of you know reason and advice and this is and that's and which direction to go and what's the right product for me and so they're hearing the terms as well so if they hear um you know what is it hvac <laughs> HCAS, high-class automating stuff. If they hear HCAS all the live long day and they get conditioned to that and then they go to, you know, whomever's site maybe to explore outward and that term isn't reflected back to them, it could be that, you know, especially if they're very new into the world for whatever reason, that it doesn't resonate as much, you know. Yeah, that's the other, that's the other problem I think is, is it is possible let me say this as diplomatically as i can it is possible that analysts may have gotten too much power (laughs) over how these things happen because the customer who doesn't know anything about subject x goes to analyst y and analyst y says ah this is what subject x is or Mm -hmm. subject x is this is what it means these are the important terms with subject x and the assumption on that end user's part is, well, this analyst knows all about this stuff. Mm -hmm. So they must be pros at it. How many of the analysts actually work in the industry? Uh, You know, there are, I think, analysts just like people. There are analysts that are amazing, and they are just prolific and well-read, and their depth of knowledge is just gobsmacking. And then there's ones who are not as good at their job. So, you know, it's like anything else. You, you, you. But their job is not to build BPM systems. Their job is to analyze other people who build BPM systems. Uh, Yes. It, it, it it makes me think a lot of times about the old saying, those who can do, those who can't teach. Well, much of, much of the job. You're a professor. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. That's why I like the, the expression. It, it's very. Uh, what does that say about very you? Very personal to me. <laughs> well, I. I mean, I feel like they. A good analyst is listening as much as they're talking, and they're hearing from a lot of different organizations with a lot of different service options, and they can create kind of a holistic idea of what the what the business terrain is, the direction it's heading, you know, different trends and what they well, feel they, would be. They have an advantage in that they do get to see what everybody in the industry is doing, right. even if they're not doing it themselves. So assuming that they're relatively competent, they can sort of synthesize everything that all of the players in that industry are doing and sort of come up with a, this is the trend of the industry. Right. So I can see as a customer, you go, okay, I'm a customer. I have, you know, X, Y, and Z needs. I'm going to go to this analyst and they'll be able to point me in the right direction because they have this ability to synthesize and know I have the exact right fit for you. Approach, you know, company C with your you know your problem your pain points they'll be able to fix it that's what makes them so potentially powerful and that's what makes these organizations um you know trying to what is the term influencing the influencer but one of the things that it seems to me is a bit of a corruption of that power is that rather than just stopping at the end point of saying ah now we've seen what everybody in the industry is doing we now have an idea of what the trends are and where the industry is going what they end up doing back towards the people who are actual players in the industry is saying, well, you know, 
you don't really have an intelligent BPM system if it doesn't do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. We've decided those are the important things that your system should do for us to consider you. Ah, okay. That puts them in some way as someone who's trying to sit in the driver's seat of the evolution of whatever industry they're analyzing. Mm, that's not a good place for them to be. Well, They're I, not doing the work in the industry every day. And they are rather presumptively saying, if you are in the industry, you should be doing this. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're not the best person to judge what I should be doing. And maybe you're not the person who knows what the next innovative change in the industry is. For sure. But I mean, that getting down to brass tacks, it, it costs money. These analysts are used to eating their you know, gold leaf laden ice creams and um, <laughs> living in their chateaus. I, I uh, don't know their lifestyle. I have, I have, I have no, no idea. idea. What lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's one I aspire to, but um, but no. What I'm what I'm meaning is that like that's where commerce enters the picture, and uh, these competing analyst firms need to increase their influence in order to it's like that centrifugal motion machine they increase their influence to have more customers come to them so you know they can keep the lights on and all of that but like you said that does lend them toward um, rather than analysis you know there's the kind of outreach of then defining and whether or not the analyst firms should be the ones labeling if that should be an organic market trend that kind of comes out from the the the, the you know the nature of business I can't say but I know that right now the result is a whole slew of names for ostensibly what could be one or two categories um, broad brushed categories how does that making it how does that make it difficult if it does indeed make it difficult I but I assume that it does from a marketing standpoint well I there has you have to think about it in like different tracks where you have the terms that have traffic you have the terms that people like the normal fellow or lady who wants to help their organization what they're searching under and you have to make sure that the terms that they're looking for are being presented that being said, there's another track where you have the analyst firms who are also talking through, you know, the MQ or the Wave or whatever it is, and then you need to have those presented or represented somewhere. So you have you end up having these terms that are living side by side in the same space, maybe not on the same you know, not in the same, let's say if it's a blog, not in the same entry, but in the same world. Um, in a way that I could see if not carefully done, which I try very much to do, is keep it careful, carefully pointed in one direction or another at who I think would be best receiving that. Um, it could be super convoluted and super confusing where the person's like, wait a second, I thought I was going to a BPM site. What, what's, DP, what's DPA? Is DPA like RPA? Am I in an RPA site? Am I a robot? And then they just, you know. Yeah, DPA, RPA, RPA. <laughs> it, it, it never ends. Yep, they just log off and push their computer off the edge of the building. And I, I always wonder if, if the things that the computer, the computer, the things that the end user is searching for has any relevance to what 
the analysts or other industry insiders are saying or the terminology that they're using. I mean, that's, I, I think... Or that, even if the end user is using that terminology, if they even know what it means. Right. I think that that's a better question is, is do they really know what it means and do they know what they're looking for? Because half of the time it's not necessarily... Sometimes it's the search that then takes them to where they need to go. So they start on, you know, one perception of what they need and then they end up with a completely different product or at least you know let, let's say they go, they type in they're sitting there on the computer and they clickety clack in like workflow you know what i mean and and they so they have that's the term that they're working from and they end up with something like process director in the end the end game you know like hype in a hypothetical it's like that i i would hardly say that that's what i would define process director around but that's what the person typed in at the beginning. And through their journey, they went, oh, we, no, we need this and we need this. And it's like they're putting, they're putting like features into their, into their proverbial basket and then coming out the other side, a more educated consumer with a much different product than they initially were defining in their own minds. But isn't that part of the customer journey anyway? And uh, For someone who doesn't, if somebody starts typing in workflow, yeah. That, then, yeah, that's going to be part of their journey because they don't, simply by using that term, that tells me they're an outsider, right? Oh. Because workflow is one of those generic terms that means anything. Oh. It may mean a process. Right. It may mean a process model. It may be something like what uh, Microsoft did with SharePoint where it's hard to explain even SharePoint's workflow. It's very rudimentary even even today. Um, in fact, we've had customers here who've come in and said, hey, you know, we're using SharePoint for workflow, and we were looking if maybe you had a better workflow solution. Oh, yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, but but so, like, okay, let's say... But workflow they, is this generic term for, oh, stuff has to happen. Yeah, but that p might be part of the journey in that, like, Agnes, you know, from from, I don't know... HR, <laughs> giving HR a bad rap, but <laughs> let's say she has a problem. You know, she's sick of carrying her clipboard from desk to desk. And so she decides, okay, you know, I'm going to do something about this. And she's heard that term before. She types it in, she searches for it and brings like Bob's workflow emporium to IT. And IT goes, oh, no, 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 no. And then works with Agnes to find a product that is more suited to the, you know, overall needs of the organization. That might be a part of the journey, but it still started with Agnes typing in workflow. And, you know, even though they ended up with process director rather than Bob's workflow emporium does not necessarily mean that it didn't begin with an, a pain point that was you know, on the business user side. Yeah, and that's the other thing that w with all these terms that they don't really address is pain points. If I'm an end user, you know, there's there, like any industry or any industry segment, you, you kind of get battened down with all this jargon that really means nothing to outsiders, it means everything to you. And mm -hmm. so you use it constantly. And one of the worst things that you know people do is is use those terms with customers who literally have no idea what you're talking about right and you know something that i ran into in the military right i spent 10 years in the military i know a lot of acronyms <laughs> i know a lot of terms that don't mean anything to the actual to to 
to normal people. Mm-hmm. If I say something is you know five clicks away, what does that mean? Most people have no clue mm-hmm. what that means. Something to do with whales. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and this industry is the same. And I don't. It doesn't help our customers when they come in. I think at at the end of the day, looking to find some way to address pain points. And I think we spend too much time doing bells and whistle stuff. Look, we have AI now. <laughs> we have Skynet. Yeah, we um, do. Yeah, great. I I I need to figure out how to tell how much leave my people have. Mm-hmm. I need to figure out a way to approve purchase order. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more effort needs to be done with talking about pain points, I think, than talking about, ooh, this is the new term that we've created for you know, this or that. Yeah. That's meaningless to somebody outside the industry. Yeah, yeah. It's second nature to everybody in the industry, and it never occurs to us, this is really weird to outsiders. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think in industry, we're obsessed with features and data points and you know what a product can do, and everybody else is is worried about what right, because the product we're all can ITIS solve. geeks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 that's the whole idea of you know, going back on like a little marketing tangent here is the idea of the power of story, and you can't tell a story with a series of bullet points around what a or pro- acronyms <laughs> or acronyms. You know, it, you tell a story with here's the problems, here's how they used you know our our process director to solve the problems or whoever whoever um, they decide to go with and it's process director and um, you, you know that's more compelling to hear and learn and that retains better like he, uh, people remember stories nobody remembers flashcards of facts people remember you know the the journey and hopefully happy ending yeah, I think that's why customer testimonials are so important in most cases because they're told in a language that their community understands. Yeah, I agree. This, this, this is the story of my people. <laughs> and that becomes a, a much more compelling thing to listen to than, well, you know, we have several Bayesian algorithms that we've incorporated. Right. Right over their head. Well, and and every consumers are so savvy now. Like you think about in like the 1950s, what it took to market to the average consumer, it was it was nothing. You could write a, you know, treatise on shoe polish. We were talking about the other day. It's like now people are really jaded and they want to hear authenticity and reviews and testimonials and case studies and the experience the story um not only the story of people using it but the story of the product itself resonates as more true and it's because it is so visit our in our words page (laughs) (laughs) on the new website (laughs) on the new website that i worked so hard on (laughs) well it's it's always been one of the interesting things about how how scattered an industry gets with all of the weird terms that we try to we try to force on our customers and I don't think customers want to have things forced on them customers want problems solved mm-hmm. yep I think so and that's you know one of the reasons why I really came to work here and why I really came to enjoy working here because everything that we do um, is is built around that sort of problem-solving thing. Everything that Process Director does is that sort of problem-solving thing. I spent 15 years manually creating 
BPM applications on Windows de- in Windows Desktop. Um, and so I'm somebody who is a prime example of the whole don't learn to code thing. Mm-hmm. The, the, the job that I did for 15 years before I got here was actually manually writing that C-sharp code in .NET in Windows Desktop applications so that people could do you know, technical writing and editing and whatever. And as it turned out, we could have solved all of that without me having to do any of that programming at all. And I could have built the same stuff there with Process Director in a week or two that took me three months of programming in C-sharp. It was beautiful, Dale. Yeah, thank you. It was actually just me trying to figure out what to say while I turned the music on to say goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) But I had a point, and I I actually reached it. Anyway, Bonnie, thank you. Thank you, Dale. Thank you all. Everyone else, thanks for listening. (laughs) We'll be back again next time. This is Don't Learn to Code.